0: Welcome to the Digital Leaders Podcast, Season 3. Today's guest is Mark Owens. Mark is Managing Director of Civic in Northern Ireland. He is currently also a member of the Institute of Directors for Northern Ireland and an active contributor to the Northern Ireland Chamber of Commerce. Hello, Mark. Great to have you on the Digital Leaders Podcast. Thank you, Robin. I'm really pleased to join you today. Great. So, before we find out a bit more about you, can you tell me uh, a bit about Civica Northern Ireland?
1: Certainly, yeah. Uh, So, Civica Northern Ireland, one of the uh, divisions within the Civica group that's responsible for our digital solutions. Uh, I'm currently the Managing Director uh, for the uh, the Ireland operation uh, based mainly in Belfast.
0: So although it's Civic Northern Ireland, you cover the whole of Ireland?
1: Yeah, and um, we're, we're a legal entity just in, in Northern Ireland, but um, my territory is to cover the island off Ireland. We have actually customers uh, in the Dublin region uh, as well as uh, quite a few, few customers here in, in Northern Ireland. So yeah, we cover the island uh, and we do that
0: under the uh, digital uh, umbrella of, uh, of Civica. Fantastic. Now our listener isn't based in Northern Ireland and, unlike me, doesn't occasionally get to go to Belfast and discover what a fantastic place it is. So the one thing they probably do know is that an awful lot of the fantastic private sector companies serving the public sector across the UK, and particularly central government here in London, are from... Northern Ireland. So is there something in the water over there that just creates great digital companies?
1: Well I think first and foremost we we have a very proud education system here in Northern Ireland uh, with our two main uh, universities Queen's University and Ulster University which would effectively be feeder clubs for for our organisation here and other organisations in Northern Ireland so very high standard of education. And, and as a result of that, we do get some very bright and talented placements and, and graduates coming out of those universities and also out of the um, further and higher education authorities. That means that we can grow uh, our capability in Northern Ireland and, and, and be able to sell that capability on, on outside the island, particularly into UK and beyond. And in fact, Northern Ireland has just been named as the fifth largest tech hub in the UK which we're really pleased with. And the demand for us, uh, digital skills, particularly in Northern Ireland, grows every day, which is a challenge because then obviously we, we we're not just the, the only, the only uh, gig in time. We have to show that our business uh, can attract that
0: talent when there's such a wide variety of options for them. There must also be a good entrepreneurial spirit in Northern Ireland as well. Is that the case?
1: Yes, I, I believe so. Um I think if I if I was being brutally honest um Northern Ireland people tend to not sell themselves very well we've got some great talent but we tend to be quite private so when we do something well we don't we don't shout it out a lot however um speaking personally uh, one of the first things that happened when I landed here uh, about a year and a half ago was to look at how we foster innovation I mean the technology in particular the digital technology arena thrives on innovation it thrives on solving business issues in, in in a digital world and um, one of the first things i tried to, um, to 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 instill in our people here was no, no fear come up with ideas it doesn't matter how mad they sound please do try those ideas and and i was really pleased in about month four or five when one of our more junior talent came to my came into my office and asked me would it be okay if we entered a competition on these the smart cities deal uh, really pleased to also find out that we won that competition to provide a very clever digital uh, solution around safe safe places, particularly in parks uh, in in Belfast. So I think it's very important that leadership digital leaders uh, foster and innovate innovation because my my definition of innovation is people. and we can create lovely technology rooms, we can create the latest technology. But if there isn't a person at the end of that to come up with the idea, it solves a real business issue, then innovation will stifle. And I believe that in Northern Ireland we try to encourage our staff to be entrepreneurial, and
0: I think it's working. And in terms of the kind of the community of Northern Ireland, I know one of the things that that you do, which I really like, is this annual survey of is it attitudes to digital public services? I think it might be broader than that, but um, there are some really striking findings from the report that I read this year. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it comes under the umbrella of, of what we call changing
1: landscape in, in, in Civica where we each year um, try to look at, at, at public sector services and understand that are we really addressing the key issues. So luckily enough in Northern Ireland I was able to do two things, Rob, and I was able to uh, survey over a thousand citizens of Northern Ireland about their attitude and their views on, on how the digital economy in Northern Ireland is at this moment. But even more importantly, I was able to invite in the leaders of uh, most of the public sector services in Northern Ireland so that I could, first of all, tell them what their citizens believe they were doing well and not so well, but also to, to get them around the table and talk about collaboration, uh, about uh, innovation. And actually, I, I was pleasantly surprised at some of the outcomes. If I could give you some of those, uh, some stats that came out of that. We believe Northern Ireland was behind uh, the UK in, in, our, in our digital journey. Actually, from what we believe, we're, we're ahead and that's coming from senior leaders. We asked our, our population, did they believe better use of digital technology was a good thing? Over 60% said yes. So first, that's the big question that, you know, are we doing this, but are you you getting on board with it? Do you want more of it? We actually try to look at the demographics, you know, what type of people, what age of people are using these technologies? And it was great to see that, you know, not only young people who embrace it, but actually, you know, there's a huge demand for people over 64 years old, uh, 65 years old in our survey. And let's be clear, our population are lasting longer, they're living longer. So that means that they want to use services and maybe they don't have the ability or they don't have the health to go and queue up in the high street or, or, or in a public building. They just want to go online. And actually surprising how many elderly people actually use this technology. You know, half of the internet uses Northern Ireland are aged between 65 and 74. That was quite an quite a amazing stat when we put it out there. But also when we when we also talked to the um, departments and the, and, and the services, public services leaders, it was interesting when we found out how many, uh, what percentage of those departments were making good use of uh, digital technology. And in fact, only 6% of local government were doing it, 13% of healthcare, uh, 14% of devolved government. So that told me as a digital leader, there's a great opportunity to to expand on the services we offer. If it took two minutes to explain how we do that in Northern Ireland, we have a government services portal called NI Direct. NI Direct's aspiration uh, was 16 by 16. So 16 devolved local government services online by 2016. We're now at 32. And that demand has been driven by our citizens. I think our report in one way helped those government departments validate that the demand from our citizens is there. Um, In fact, there's a pressing need for more of it. I think the challenge we have in Northern Ireland is without the devolved government in place, it's difficult for those departments to have more than one-year budgets approved at any given time. Typically, they'd want two, three-year larger projects uh, underway. Unfortunately, without a minister in place, we don't we don't have that ability. So, I think what we're trying to do is show uh, our leaders here that the demand from our citizens is there. Uh, we have departments that can deliver successfully, and therefore. That final sort of icing on the cake of having a devolved government and a minister in place, I think would keep Northern Ireland ahead in the UK as being a digital leader.
0: One of the things that's going to help them deliver that is by being able to recruit talent into the public services in Northern Ireland. Are they able to, in such a sort of competitive market for talent, are they able to attract talent? Uh, are you seeing younger people going into the public sector in Northern Ireland? Well, I'd like to say the answer is yes, but the answer is definitely no, Robin. I was
1: stunned and shocked with the stat that um, that really is one that's, that's in, the, it's in the domain of Northern Ireland, but I think around 20,000 civil servants in Northern Ireland, you know, less than 20, are under the age of 25. That's 20 people, not 20%. That worries me for two reasons. One is that if you look at the demographics of civil servants in Northern Ireland, they're probably somewhere north of the age of 40, 45. And potentially looking at a retirement option and those are the people that are leading those departments and what we don't have is a funnel of junior talent coming in behind them to pick up on things like you know the process around public services you know the 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 legalities and logistics of public services and i think it's a challenge because in northern ireland we have more demand for tech services than we have people that's our challenge we are I think sometimes blessed and, and hindered by the fact that foreign direct investments are well attracted to Northern Ireland um, through people like Invest in I. So, bringing new US companies in to set up their offshore operations in Northern Ireland is a great thing for Northern Ireland's economy. However, the challenge for me as a, as a provider of digital services is that I put another kid on the block. And therefore, when somebody coming out of Queens has that option, they've got more options now. So, I think the challenge for public sector recruitment is is that you know, you've know you got four, five, six private sector companies with benefits and with great offices and overlooking the, the harbour, attracting talent before they're being attracted into the likes of Northern Ireland Civil Service. And I think that's something that the Northern Ireland Civil Service understand. I think they're doing lots of really good stuff, particularly around the further and higher education colleges to attract potentially apprentices into the civil service and into public sector. I think that's a good thing, and it gives options for, for people, for example, who don't go on to the degree, of which I am one. I chose that many years ago, decided that I wanted to get into business and wanted to get in and start working quickly. So I think there's a big challenge um, for those,
0: le- for those um, uh, public sector service leaders. So thank you for bringing up your background, because that's where I want to go next. So can you tell me about your journey I mean, you've just said you didn't go to university on your way into your career. So so what were the early inspirations, aspirations, influences on you that have kind of led you to your current role? Uh, yeah, there's there's a couple of
1: things that would probably have influenced. I mean, I, I, I come from a family of uh, high academics. I've got a brother and three sisters, all of which have got degrees and all of which you know, two have got masters. Uh, and, and I've all done academically very well. I was probably in the same roadmap to do that. I, I I got nine GCSEs, as we call them, or O-levels back then, of various grades. However, I remember vividly going to see my careers teacher for the only 10 minutes that I ever spent with a careers teacher in my uh, secondary education, grammar education, and his uh, suggestion was potentially that I join the civil service, which, uh, not to demote civil servants, I felt that I had more to offer this world than than being a civil servant, and, and my father was a civil servant. and. I seen how frustrated he got at times about the ability to shape and change technology. Where did it come in? I mean, I probably played around with technology like most teenagers did when, you know, the record player wasn't working or uh, the tape recorder back then, as you can sort of give my age away here, wasn't working. I got intrigued about how that why that broke and trying to fix um you know certain circuits and stuff um and then it there had a moment of inspiration where an, an aunt of mine um, realized that i was not really wanting to go back and do a levels and she pointed me towards uh, belfast college of technology also now known as belfast, belfast metropolitan college but i was lucky to get to meet a lecturer there who was majoring in electronics electrical engineering and it seemed to sort of resonate with me i la- I liked that area, and I, I I went on to do a BTEC, which was you know an okay diploma at that point. But it became very clear to me by about the age of sort of 18, 19 that I wanted to work. I wanted to go and actually find out what all this theory was about and go and put it into practice. And I was lucky enough to start my first job in Belfast and around uh, the age of eighteen. Again, I had this passion and hunger to do better and got taken away by the bright lights of London. having read an article in one of the local or the national newspapers for IT companies in London looking for uh, PC engineers. So at that point, we were into PCs on the desktops and they'll give my age away. I moved to London for four or five years, which was probably one of the bravest and probably one of the most inspirational things I've done. I was 18, 19 years old. I was on my own, started with an IT company, went from an engineer to an engineer supervisor to the uh, Head of Engineers, and then eventually to the IT Manager of the company within four years. And it was that point, really, I got the bug. That's where I wanted. To, I really knew knew that that's this is what I wanted to do. And I guess on the beliefs, um, and it stays with me to this day. The reason I go to work each day is the customer. I, I get such a kick from dealing with customers at every level, and I've dealt with them from the data center, IT guy, up to the chief executive of some of the biggest companies in the UK and beyond. And I never forget the fact that my job is there is to provide a service. And I never forget the fact that the client, how difficult they can be and how uh, demanding they can be, are being that way because they want their, their, their business to be a success and we're part of that success. Um, I guess then for me, I I had an opportunity to get into the software world. I was in data centers, putting racks up and filling servers in and connecting up operating systems. But I think the, the, the opportunity I had was when I came back to Belfast to work, um, the company I came into had mentioned that one of their customers was implementing this big software called SAP and that I was going to get involved in the project to help build the infrastructure around it. But it became clear to me quickly was... The coolest bit was doing the software, so I didn't have to sit in a very cold server room or lug very heavy servers up and downstairs into a server room. And then I could sit in a desk and configure the software and configure the software to do effectively to run a business. That was that was the mind blowing bit. That was the bit that said to me that this is this is the future. You know, if this piece of software can run a company that turns over hundred million pounds and it runs it from the, when the order comes in to the product was out the door, this is where I want to be. So I spent the next 12, 15 years doing SAP, working for a small company in Northern Ireland, BIC Systems. And then I had the um, great pleasure of joining uh, Capgemini uh, back in 2007 as a head of uh, SAP architecture. And eventually I went on to run SAP for uh, Capgemini UK. And I became a vice president as well as a company during my tenure. So that opportunity allowed me to work with some amazing brands. Rolls-Royce, Centrica, a lot of the utility companies in in the UK. I think the one that I really put my mark onto was Burberry, the the fashion brand, where I ran the account for three years and that became Capgemini's largest UK account. I was really honored to be able to work even with the CEO at the time, Christopher Bailey, but also they were very much leaders in the space of digital. They were the pioneers of doing stuff that people talk are talking about now, they were doing it. Six, seven years, the first ones to advertise on Twitter, the first ones to be uh, a non China company on the equivalent of Twitter in China, the first ones to go with the new version of SAP HANA. So I was at the forefront of that digital technology and software and and could see how that could influence and change businesses and and, and really make a difference. Um, And as I said, then about a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity of coming back to work in Belfast, which has always been an ambition of mine, and uh, was able to do that and realize that as uh, becoming the new managing director of uh, Civic in Northern Ireland. So that's kind of my journey, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, it does. I mean, you've kind of tracked the development of technology, I guess, in the business sector from, from sort of your first days with PCs and through servers and into, and into software. So you've kind of you've lived alongside some incredible changes in the way we do business. I, I hesitate to say self taught, but I suspect you've been figuring stuff out at the forefront. You know, as new things come on, you've kind of worked out how to make them deliver things in the real world.
1: Well, I'll give you an example. When I first went to London to work on PCs, a 20 megabyte hard drive was the size of a shoebox. <laughs> now, when you're lifting your um, six gigabyte memory stick, it's the size of a half a pen. It just takes you away from where technology went to from and to you know software was 10 15 meg to sap systems that are terabytes and looking at technology database technology going from very uh, transactional databases and uh, odbc databases up to things like uh, Hana db which is in memory database you know I've, i've been at the front of that i've been at the end of it you know it's it's important as digital leaders that we Embrace technology and and, and and always try and strive to push it and push it to the limit. You know why can't they do that? Why won't they do that? Because at the end of that, ultimately, is a customer who wants to use that service, who would benefit from that service. Uh, and I remember the first day joining uh, Civica, I walked in and um, and the corporate branding said Civica, transforming services, improving lives. And I guess I was a bit cynical. I thought, and it sounds a little bit. Like a PR sort of uh, uh, opportunity. But actually, having spent the last year here, I know that in Northern Ireland, we absolutely do transform services and we absolutely improve lives. And that's what drives me. That's what gets me up and gets in in the morning, knowing that that the software that we develop here in Northern Ireland is helping Northern Ireland citizens
0: here and also citizens outside of Northern Ireland. That leads neatly into my next question, which is, what are, you, what are you working on right now? What I'm really excited about is, um,
1: so when I joined, I mentioned that i see seen our innovation being really important, and two things that we worked on, but I'll talk about one predominantly. Um, Civica didn't have a mobile product. and We we used to typically purchase uh, mobile products from third-party vendors, and, and that meant we were a bit sort of stuck with their roadmap, and if they changed, we had to change, and our software then that's behind that mobile app, we may have to change. So, and um, one of the things I'm very proud of was um, building a mobile working platform that, um, that I think we can, that will, will that'll leave us in, in a great position going forward at a group level. But I think the thing we're really excited about and we're working on right now, and we're on sort of version 2.0 of it is a, a product called Sense AI. And there's a bit of a clue in the title. I talked about the innovation and the prize that we won on the, Belfast City Council uh, um, competition for safe places. And effectively, what we've built is we've built an application that uses IoT sensors and IoT data that are placed into public places, typically parks, could be uh, a, a, a retail outlet, could be a, a industrial park, it could be a forest. And those um, little devices emit uh, IoT data looking for Wi-Fi signals that are typically generated from a mobile phone. And when we get that data, we can then geospatially work out where that device is at real time. Therefore, allowing a organization, customer, uh, you know, anybody to understand what the movement of uh, uh, people are within their organization. So why is that important in a park? Well, Northern Ireland is not unique in saying that parks are public places, but there also uh, can be antisocial places. Uh, They can be uh, used by um, drug dealers uh, and they can be be dangerous. So understanding a pattern of what goes on in a park and using some AI and some machine learning to allow the park or the the council to work out, that that's either a football match or a fight. And then being able to notify criminal justice, whether that be PSNI, police services or whatever, the park themselves and the park keepers, so that they can maintain a bit of um, sense and safety within their own uh, environment. So we, we trialled that last year. It was highly successful. We're on phase two of that. We've had great demand and interest from other organisations. I'm talking to one of the largest forestry departments in the UK about the fact they don't know who's in their forest. Um, they're cutting trees down. They'd like to know that there are people around in case there's a health and safety issue. We're talking to uh, one of the large Arbor commissions in the UK who plan to trial a list to understand a bit more about knowing who's on their property and where those people are, should they be there. So we're really excited about that, Robin. Um, and I think what we're excited about, it's taking three real big buzzwords in our digital world, which are uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and, and genetic things, and applying them into a real business solution and then allowing people to make decisions based on Real-time data, algorithms that make sense to understand what that data is telling them, and um, it's got huge excitement for us. And we're we're co-developing that um, with our with our colleagues in GB, um, where we think there's a great market for that across not only councils but other uh, organisations of such ilk.
0: One of our um, digital leaders of the year in the Deal 100 this year was Dave Vincent, who I think is on the tourism side in Northern Ireland. So can this technology be used to kind of find out who's in the city and where they are and what they're doing and that sort of thing yeah. from a sort of tourism yeah. data perspective? Yeah, so, so Dave's very, very interested
1: in knowing when people arrive in Northern Ireland, where they go. I mean, as a, as a tourism office, you'd, you'd think that's, that's a standard. It's difficult to do that. So what we can provide is... In an area, we can we can pick up on the fact that the, the signals are generated and there's a pattern behind them. So, for example, Northern Ireland now is one of the stop-offs on the world cruises, uh, which we've never seen before in our history. So, about once every two weeks, we find a large cruise ship arrives in and we can start to lose that pattern to understand that when they get off the cruise ship, where are they likely to go, what parts of, uh, of Belfast uh, would they like to visit and then... Now, so the first question is, you know, GDPR springs up and going, oh, is this a little bit crossing the line? Of course, we've already checked that out. And at the moment, we don't bridge any or overlap any GDPR rules because simply all we're doing is picking up the MAC address of the mobile phone that's being emitted from that phone. So we don't know the individual is a female male. Uh, um, we just know that they are likely to be a human being because they've got a mobile device on them. So Dave's very interested, and we've had several chats and coffees over this. He promotes a lot of uh, National Trust facilities in Northern Ireland. For example, the Giants Causeway, which is a national heritage site. But nobody knows at any given point how many people are in the Giants Causeway. And our application could pretty accurately say that there are, at this very moment, 400 people in and around the Giants Causeway area. So that's either a large crowd, a medium crowd, or a small crowd. So it would allow somebody to make a decision on whether they wanted to go at that point. I think even from the safety aspect, National trusts typically close at a, at a given hour of an evening, six o'clock, and um, we we're able to say to, you know, to that is, would you want to know that there's 25 people down in the rocks at half past nine at night? Because we could tell you that information. So okay. those are protected, those rocks, and, and they're trying to make sure that nobody's, uh, nobody's breaching health and safety as
0: well on it. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure our listener can kind of imagine other ways in which they can use it. I just want to go back very briefly. You, you mentioned mobile our our listener isn't tech savvy so why or sort of how important or where are people using mobile in their solutions and i mean you sort of said you you know it was clearly at some point not important enough for you to develop your own solution but now it is so is is this a sort of direction of travel, and how can people use this and and when so i think going back to the stats again uh, robin um
1: you know, we we did a survey of uh, sort of IT managers, CIOs, uh, CTOs. And we asked them, you know, what area of technology will be the you know the single biggest focus for you uh, going forward? And I think our stats now; these are only our stats, showed that mobile coming around forty-eight percent seen this, and it was the highest of the people we surveyed to say, is this an interest to you? Will you be driven this way? So half the people said yes. I think if you just look at some of the numbers around mobile technology, um, uh, five billion apps, I think five billion mobile apps or something like that there. I think something like over 35 or 40% of all transactions online were done on a mobile phone. So it doesn't take sort of ra- rocket science to realize that it's a technology that will be growing ever more so given the uh, use of mobile technology. And the fact that the, the, some of the stats behind it can prove that it is uh, bringing, particularly, you know, private sector and retail customers, you know, a benefit by allowing their customers to be more flexible when they trade with them. So you put all that together. What we realized was that, um, and the fact that the point I made about you know being dependent on a third party when it's their technology. So we kind of remove that, um, and we want to build a platform now that will allow any civic product to have a mobile solution, any customer to buy a mobile working platform for us that has already pre-configured content functionality and also works across multiple uh, platforms, iOS, Android, and even a unified Windows platform, although it's quite a dying technology. So I think we've seen the opportunity. We've tested that out. We've got very, very um, positive views from our critical software team, that, with which we have over uh, 100 critical pieces of software within Civica, that they see uh, and need a requirement
0: for mobile technology to be associated with the application. Brilliant. You've, you've talked a little bit about the importance of digital leadership already, but, and this is the Digital Leaders podcast, so it, it's the right place to ask you, you know, how important these days is it that leaders, and, and obviously as a CEO, these are the people you're dealing with. <laughs> Uh, understand the digital world? You know, I, I I probably was
1: a follower rather than a leader when it came to this sort of technology. I You know, I would have followed what trends were in. And then I probably since I joined Capgemini 11, 12 years ago, you know, we, we were working on a global base and I could see what our type of customers were demanding. I'll go back to the, the Burberry situation. You know, they they pushed the barriers of technology. They were asking SAP to rewrite their software way before, you know, the SAP were even prepared to do that. And it was trying to always strive to be better in their business, more economic, better service to the customer, and then realizing that digital technology can allow that to happen. If you understand the business issue, that's that's the challenge, I think, for digital leaders. I talked about those three acronyms, AI, ML, and IoT. They tend to get banded around quite a lot. And When I actually challenge uh, customers, say, now, what are you doing with those technologies? They just look at me blankly effectively and say, well, we know we have to look at them, but we're not quite sure. I think as digital leaders, our job is to understand why those technologies would benefit them, whether it be a citizen, whether it be uh, an, an online shopper, whether it be uh, checking your bank account, why the technology makes it easier to do your day-to-day job. I don't know about you, but I don't visit my bank branch anymore. I don't even know where the branch is. I do all my banking online It's convenient. I can do it at the touch of a phone or on my on my laptop. Uh, I can move money. I can pay people that's that to me as a citizen as a user of digital technology has made my life easier. I have a busy schedule. I really can't take an hour out to to walk into the center of Belfast and find my branch and queue and and transfer money. I think that's you know that's very important that we um we show that leadership in that way. And then, I mean, even in social technology, I was probably a little, a little latecomer using uh, social technology such as Twitter and, and LinkedIn. I spend, I think, if I'm being honest, maybe an hour a day on LinkedIn and Twitter, just understanding what our customers are saying, my competitors are saying, what I should be saying. <laughs> so I don't look at that as necessary evil. I look at them as really valid platforms and I have a, a mandate in Civic and Northern Ireland that more of our staff try to use at least Twitter as a platform to communicate what we're doing on the, in the technology space, even just to educate amongst our peers or even to our customers that the, the technology we're using every day, we, we want to shout about it and shout about it in a positive way. So I'm, I'm very eager that um, we use uh, the right forums. I'm also very passionate about this big thing about solving the problem not just talking acronyms.
0: So that's, that's kind of on the technology side. And obviously, you're a technology business with a lot of tech-savvy people in the, in the company. But digital transformation is also about leadership in the change of behavior, culture, strategy, thinking about the business model. So are you, do you deal with that within Civica as well, as well as with clients?
1: Of course, yeah. I mean, the demographics of our, our business here in Northern Ireland is a mixture of sort of people who've been here 15, 20 years and people who've been here 15 or 20 months. You know, we've got a lot of tech-savvy young people joining us from universities and, and, and colleges who just know technology is the standard, um, whereas some of our uh, more experienced staff would see this as being, um, you know, something they haven't been used to. I think one of the things we do here, and I was um, um, I'm really pleased and proud about is we run a thing called Snack Packs, which once a month at lunchtime, um, somebody in the company volunteers to spend an hour and our staff come in and we will talk about something that could be a new technology, it could be development standards, it could be a new methodology for Agile, it could be about mental health, it could be about posture. And, and I think it's really good to do that because I, what I've discovered is that the, most of the people, and we get about 67% of the staff join that session once a month, the people asking the question are they tend to be our, our more experienced staff and their interest to understand how some of this new thinking and new innovation can help them in their day job. Um, so rather than mandating it and pushing it to them, we're, we're, we're exposing them to it and then looking at how they, they want to adopt and, and use that. So I think I think it's a, you know, it's a good way of um, broaching you know some of the new technologies and and ways of thinking, uh, and I think it's good to have a good broad range of experience. You know, very experienced to new, and because you know we find sometimes that the newer type um, recruits tend to come up with some great and wacky ideas. Some of which are very wacky, but but also you know they're thinking outside the box because they they've been known, and, and that's the way they've been taught to do that recently. It's a
0: delicate balance, I think, needed. And I think we use some really good techniques to do that here. I can imagine that because to attract and retain talent, you've got to have that kind of, I suppose, flat structure where people can feel like, you know, their views are valid and they have purpose and their job titles are exciting. And at the same time, you've got really experienced staff there who have probably under old, Programs and and ways of working have probably sort of patiently waited and made their way up here uh, the seniority ladder. And they all sit side by side, or do you kind of incubate teams? How's how's it work? Yeah, no, we we have a pretty open
1: open floor policy. Um, we have two buildings here in Belfast, so soon we're going to try and coordinate them into one. But um, the teams all sit in open plan. I always joke that when I come in, the office is very quiet, and that's, I think it's a very typical software development environment where. Headphones are on and people are right in their screens looking at code. Um, but we, we've we a great, um, a very, very good sports and social club activity here, where, which is, I well, I thought, you know, would be attended by maybe 20%, but we actually have to, to limit numbers on it where we, at least once a month, we have a film night and we have games nights and we have gaming nights and we have pool competitions. And so I think, I think it's, Trying to make it feel like a family. Well, that's one of the things I find when I come in. It feels like a family here, and and once you're accepted in the family, then then you know people open up, talk, share their visions, share their thoughts, and you know, for example, we just kicked off our new financial year. I've I've done something like 15 round tables of smaller groups of of people within the organization, just to try and understand the temperature and how it feels to work within Civica. What we can do better, what we're doing well, so we keep doing it. I think just little simple things like that, communication, talk to your staff, and also give them the opportunity to, to to come up with ideas and innovate. I think is is what is is what I can do as a digital leader, and that's that's my that's my objective. Brilliant.
0: Let's finish our discussion today on our famous quickfire round of three questions. So the first one is: What one book would I recommend? To our
1: listener and why definitely the book i would recommend is uh richard branson's latest autobiography called finding my virginity it's his second book um no guesses what the first one was however why why did i choose this um i took a book away last summer to go on holidays and i read the book and it inspired me phenomenally because it's very much about giving back so richard branson highly successful entrepreneurial businessman Done it, been there. Um, and actually in this book, he talks about humility and about giving back. So all the things that he's grown and made money on, how can he uh, encourage you know, charities, uh, himself, his staff, to try and give back. And one of the one of the things I want to do, having not worked in Northern Ireland for about 20 plus years and having come back last year, one of the things that book spurred me on to do was to create a CSR culture within civic in Northern Ireland and what I'm really proud of is our coding for kids where we go out to primary schools and demonstrate standard coding technologies to seven eight and nine-year-olds and we do that free of charge and then we do that with no obligations except you know offering it to the schools so I'd recommend that book he is an inspiration inspirational guy anyway but um, yeah I, I think that's the book I would recommend.
0: Fantastic Thank you for that. And then our second question is, what one person, living or dead, I would love to have lunch with and why? For my sins,
1: and I am not going to say my sins, but I, I, I've been a huge Manchester United fan all my life since I was three years old, I've been told by my parents. And I've always looked up to and, and seen Sir Alex Ferguson as an inspiration, not just because he was a manager of my football team, but I think I know he's been able as a leader to get the best from people that may not have been gifted. And I know from a couple of other people who've been in his company, and also people that um, in the sports world which has been brought in, have been absolutely blown away by his inspiration and uh, his knowledge and and the way he deals with people. So I guess that would be my dream lunch. And uh,
0: uh, yeah, that would be Alex Ferguson, I think. Brilliant. And uh, the one thing, this is my favourite question, the one thing that our listener would be surprised (laughs) to learn about you is what? Oh, wow, this is where it all gets a bit embarrassing. Um,
1: Well, about two years ago, I persuaded my wife uh, to enter into a Northern Ireland version of Strictly Come Dancing. And I can't dance. Well, I say I can't dance. I think I can dance, but I can't dance. My wife certainly can't dance and within uh, 10 weeks of intensive training uh, we learned to dance and we came second overall in the competition and it was probably one of the best experiences of my life to meet other people and become we've become lifetime friends with the rest of the competitors to get healthy and also to
0: learn something new so my little guilty pleasure is strictly come dancing i mean it is sort of something that i think lots of people who enjoy watching Strictly Come Dancing probably realize that there seems to be a lot of fitness and fitness and health benefits coming from it, and clearly everybody ends up incredibly good friends. And that sounds like you've got that benefit from it as well.
1: Oh, so when we started out, I walked into a school hall to 10 couples I vaguely knew. I knew one or two of them. We were to train once a week for two hours with two professional teachers, so you weren't getting one-to-one, you were getting to -to one-to-many. And what we realized very quickly, because we all lived around the same area, wouldn't it be good if we, we went and practiced together without the teachers? Because we were doing a group dance, and then we had to do an individual dance. I think I lost, I personally lost about a stone and a half in the 10 weeks um, from just dancing my wife lost weight we you know we felt much healthier and sort of video biogs of all the all on the night there was sort of video biogs of the other dancers saying ask three questions and they asked who's the most competitive and I think seven out of the ten the couple said Mark <laughs> so my competitive streak came out um, sometimes to the dismay of my wife who was feeling a little bit, a little bit like this is, this is a bit hard and we'll do it again. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. But, you know, on the night we had, and I think we chose one of the hardest dances, which is the Argentine Tango. And I remember that night, well, I will remember that night for the rest of my life and how proud I was of my wife and I and, uh, and coming second. We had two nines and a ten. Sorry, two tens and a nine uh, on our scores. So um, we were really chuffed about that. So, um, yeah, it's. I, I would highly recommend it to anybody your listeners, um, for, for many reasons. But just even for the friendship that I've built within the other
0: sort of nine or ten couples is, is, is something we'll hold for life. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely sad, Mark, to say that we are out of time on that uh, fantastic recommendation for for taking up dancing. So thank you so much for being on the Digital Leaders Podcast. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure, Robin, and thanks, thanks for having me that is it for this episode of the digital leaders podcast now of course we would love to know your thoughts tag us at, at digileaders and let us know and if you want to find out more about today's guest head on over to our website digileaders.com forward slash podcast and we have all that information there that is it for this week i'm your host robin knowles thank you so much for listening And we'll be back soon with another episode of the Digital Leaders Podcast.